You found it. It's the Japan What Podcast coming at you out of the back end of Tokyo, the armpit of Asia. It's me, Matt Bigelow, coming at you from the Sammoncho Studios in Shinjuku, Tokyo, Japan. The backup studio. I am having what you are having. Very different from what we usually have, isn't it, Mr. or Ms. Listener? Uh, it's because my wife's in the hospital because she we've recently had a baby and the baby is scheduled to come home any minute now. So I am in the backup studio um, getting ready for that. Uh, we'll see how this kind of pans out. It's pretty hot today and the studio is not really equipped as is the uh, the main studio that we got going on in the Toshi Hisacho area of town. So there we go. Yes, another child. Bringing another child into this world. Many people would say, how dare you? And I say, why not? Kids are pretty fun. I just spent five days with my son running around the town. He's about two and a half years old. Um, They're immediately the most amazing fun people in the world. And then on a dime can just enrage me with just insanity, like random insanity. The cutest, most perfect little tiny creature laughing and hugging. And then they take like a a plastic toy that they find and run up and hit you in the back of the head with it and then pinch your nipples. And you're like, what? That's not fun or cute at all. Stop that. I don't want that coming from you, my son. Just be cute and nice. And then, you know, they, you take them to the hoikuen, the uh, preschool, and they, they go in and they hug everybody. Then you go and pick them up. They're like, your son was uh, throwing everything and broke a bunch of glass. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's just wait to wait and see how this goes. Um, let's begin the, with the hate read of the week. Uh, new products by Sora News 24. Um this is uh, Sorry News 24 is, of course, the ultimate uh, hate read website for us all. And I, I've, I've gotten to know just from doing the hate reading um, for so long for the podcast that I, I now kind of know these people and I don't hate them. They look like kind of fun people to be around. But then I read their articles and I'm like, ooh, I don't know if I can let this slide. As a podcaster covering these topics. New products. Japan's weirdest gadget maker has a new fan just to dry off your legs. <laughs> From Casey Bessiel, sorry, it was 24. However you make your money, Casey. Making more than me, maybe. I hope. Tokyo. Now that we're midway through May, yes. It won't be long until Japan enters a month's-long stretch of hot and humid weather. When you've been sweating profusely, one of the best ways to refresh yourself is with a nice shower. This is a good hint, Sora News 24. But here's the problem with that strategy. Japan gets so hot and humid that once you step back out of the shower, before you can even towel yourself off, you'll probably be sweating again. Thankfully, as is so often the case, Japanese gadget maker Thanko is here with a solution both weird and wonderful. One of their newest offerings is the Noreru Senpuki, or fan that you can stand on. At first glance, it looks almost like a bathroom scale. Instead of a digital readout showing your weight, though, the fan that you can stand on is equipped with vents that shoot jets of cool air upwards. I'll be posting pictures of this to Japan uh, the Japan web official website, MatthewPMBigelow.com. 
Traveling at speeds of up to 35 meters per second, the airflow is positioned to blow over your legs, cooling and drying parts of the body that sh both shower and sweat moisture can drip down into and escape the reach of your towel. I think they mean crotch. The, uh, the swass zone. Uh, swass is when uh, sweat runs down your back and mix into your ass crack and then uh, kind of creates a foamy texture, a borderline foamy, like it's about to get foamy. Ostensibly, this cool air would also blow upwards into your crotch. Uh, ostensibly. As any guy who's been to a public bath or hot spring in Japan can attest to, if there's a fan in the changing room, there will almost be always at least one middle-aged dude standing in front of it so that there's a comfortable breeze on his nether region. So Thanko's fan that you can stand on will likely be a crowd pleaser within that demographic too. The fan has two settings, low and high power, and you can turn it on by simply standing on it. Step off and the fan stops. The unit also has drainage holes and is designed so that you can hop on it even while your body is still wet without fear of damaging its internal mechanisms. <laughs> right. Uh, there we go. Hate read of the week. Um, very, very stupid. A lot of people say that Japan, Japanese people love this type of stuff. I'm not sure if that's the case. It's it's more just kitsch. Um, and speaking of kitsch, we're going to move right into kitsch. I'm going to eat all the bugs. Okay, you're just going to eat them one at a time though, okay? Okay. I got one. I got one. I'm going to go catch that one. No, finish the one that you have in your mouth first. So... The bugs are, uh, they're spreading. They're spreading. But they're, are they spreading? It's this weird type of thing where um, we always look at the, hey, SDGs are everywhere, but nobody really wants or needs them. It's kind of this similar thing with bugs. This comes to us from japantoday.com. Uh, the photo is by Jeff W. Richards, and it says, care for bug food. A vending machine at Kanai Station in Yokohama sells bug food. So it's a bug food vending. It's not food for bugs. It's food made out of bugs for you. Yes, finally, you can go up to a vending machine and get some bugs. Now, I'm going to, this has an English and Japanese translation on the vending machine itself, meaning maybe it's for um, tourists as well or whoever wants to put in some money. I'm going to read you. So I go, go and think about this. You, you're at a pizza restaurant and you're like, mm, I'm going to get a pepperoni pizza and a giant beer. Um, okay. And then we're going to get some wings, some spicy wings. Oh, yes. Very good. And then um, maybe later we will have some chocolate pie and um, a, a raspberry tart uh, with some vodka jello shots. Like, okay. Sounds pretty boozy, but I'm in. Now, thinking about all that pepperoni, pizza, cheese, uh, tarts, raspberries, chocolates, beer, all that stuff, I'm going to read you this list from the vending machines and uh, let you uh, decide if you think that's also equally as tasty in your tummy. Rhino beetles for 1,500 yen, about $13. Phoenix worms, 900 yen. A uh, giant cricket cookie, uh, 950 yen. That's about you know, nine bucks. Mixed bugs, 1,500 yen. Giant water bugs, 1,500 yen. Uh, wow. Korogi shio, cricket salt, 950 yen. 
Orthoptera mix, 1100 yen. Zebra tarantula, 2,600 yen. Cicada, 800 yen. Bamboo worms, 1,600 yen. That's maybe, you know, $15, $14, $15. Armor tail scorpions for 900 yen. These are all available. <laughs> I'm going to post these at MatthewPMBigelow.com. And I was looking at uh, some of the comments on this website, Japan. If you if you really like hate reading, go to Sword News 24. And if you want more and you're not done with hate reading, read the comment sections at uh, japantoday.com. But surprisingly, a lot of the people who just say things or post things on this website that enrage me, um, they're even saying, like, why would I pay $15 for uh, bugs in a can? So it's one of those things where it's expanding. It's it's they're trying to make us like it, but in the end, I don't think it's working. And that's the uh, kitsch, the buggy kitsch section for today. I'm gonna eat all the bugs. Okay, you're just gonna eat them one at a time, though. Okay. Okay. I got one. I got one. I'm gonna go catch that one. You'll finish the one that you have in your mouth first. All right. Um. We're gonna. I'm gonna talk a little bit about uh, podcasting 2.0 and what that means for streaming right now. If you are a sorry, not streaming musicians. Uh, when I was doing the AI course at the telecommunications company, I had an idea for a type of uh, cryptocurrency, um, and I didn't go along with it because I didn't like the um, abuse that cryptocurrency was going through, and the Lightning Network and Bitcoin, Bitcoin micropayments weren't the level they are, they are at now, so I gave up on the project. But it would be an idea for, instead of just getting likes in a stupid dashboard from places like Spotify or YouTube or uh, CD Baby or wherever you go, I, I've posted quite a bit of music up online, and they they kind of say, oh, you'll get some money for it. And then I check how much money I'm getting, and it's like one stream gets me 0.0035 yen, the other one 0.0028 yen, then the next one's like 0.146 yen, and it basically means nothing, but it's always completely inconsistent. So you're never really sure how much of a nothing you're getting. Um, so I thought having like a subscription for Snobcoin was my cryptocurrency idea. And uh, people who wanted to um, support independent music, like those independent music shops that used to exist in the 90s, but were run by kind of dicks, but they needed to be kind of dicks so that they could get the good music in and not just flood the whole um, store with stuff from U2 or even Metallica. I mean, you can go to, I used to be a huge Metallica fan, but you don't need to go to an independent record shop to get, to get Metallica, right? So it would be Snobcoin would be uh, purposefully built for um, independent musicians uh, and then they could post their music there. And then the users wanting to support independent music would pay five to $10 a month. And you would get X amount of cryptocurrency snob coins uh, to distribute to the artists that you like. So if you were listening to song ABC and you could give them, you know, X amount of your monthly donations and then the, um, you know, AI could tabulate the most plays and the most donations and create uh, top 10 lists based on that. Uh, I thought it was a great idea, but, you know, it's just an idea and trying to get people in on it was was not really that easy. But now with um, Satoshi's, which is the micro, bit, micro Bitcoin payment um, denomination uh, that are being used on the Lightning Network, which is browser to browser or um, now app to app 
functionality where users can send Bitcoin micropayments to podcasters is getting much better. And the thing with a lot of the online music streaming sites is that they were um, self-contained. They were siloed in a way. Once it's on YouTube, you can share it, but it always comes back to YouTube with the link and stuff like that. But with this new website called wavelake.com, W-A-V-L-A-K-E.com, it creates an RSS feed for each individual track. And then that RSS feed can be um, inputted into podcasting index which then can be um, uh, put into a Lightning Bitcoin payment system where if somebody uses that song, they can now um, send you some micro Bitcoin payments for that. I'm not saying it's like going to be some sort of major rich thing for me that I'm going to make $100 million, but uh, I was recently featured on the Podcasting 2.0 um, podcast and it's you know, headed by Adam Curry, who was the creator of the podcast. He invented it pretty much with some other guy who doesn't really step into the limelight. Um, so, but Adam Curry does. And Wavelake has now paid me about $50 in the past week based on donations um, from being featured on the Podcasting 2.0 app. I've, I've clipped it, and what I'd like to say is... Should I do... Um, no, I won't. What I'd like to say is I'm just going to put... I'm going to let Adam Curry um, explain it with uh, a clip that I took from the podcast that they featured my song on, and I want to... I guess I can call the Society 5.0, like Revenge for Society 5.0. I'll, I'll, I'll do that later. Um, so what I'm saying is is that there's now an alternative with the protocols that are built where people who want to create music platforms for um, independent artists and have the developers take a cut and the artists take a cut um, can now do that. It's, it's now being done. And I really recommend people go to wavelake.com, check it out. Um, and if you're interested, get involved because this is the answer to big tech psychoticness and i'm just gonna let podcasting 2.0 explain it adam curry take it away matt bigelow sent uh uh sent a note he says thanks to dave on episode 132 for mentioning my song fudge on wave lake you see yeah. he probably got all jacked like oh yeah oh yeah i gotta play my song nope uh, i'm a musician who has long hated spotify and the rest because they make all the money and give artists uh, likes and a dumb dashboard in return. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you, that sounds about right. You get likes. <laughs> you get likes. I wrote to you a couple of times about uh, computer vision and TikTok and have produced a jingle and some Japan-oriented clips in the past six years. So he really loves the idea of um, of having this in the, in the value block and having it switch over the value time block. So I figure we'll play a little bit of his song Fudge, which you turned me on to. And I have activated the value block so it seems like that is now working i hit the sync i think and uh if it works steven said it's working he said uh, they said the art changed the album art changed it did all right here it is this is fudge traveling with us everything you need in a bus space for your cause and up Whoa. Boost this man, people! Boost the man live! Shoot a miss, I yo! 
Goodness! All right. Uh, so th- it seems like it works that time. Let me see. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I had my Curiocaster with muted tab up in the back. It, oh, and okay. the art the art switched. Oh, really? To the album art of the of the That's of the fudge. Badass. So I'm gonna end it there. Um, they were doing that live. So as they hit my song to go live. Their streaming block for the Lightning Podcast, um, I don't know how to say this properly without sounding like a douche, but anyway, so they're they're streaming it live, they play my song, my song's protocol now takes over for the donations for, you know, 90%, I'm pretty sure 10% will still go to Adam Curry and his his podcast host there, Dave, I think his name is, sorry Dave, I'm just focused on my child right now, Um, and live, when people were donating to the show, I was receiving live donations, and that's the technology. And it's not based on an in-house level technology, meaning it's not only for Wavelake. It's protocols. It's building on protocols. And uh, we, if we if we take advantage of building on protocols, it circumnavigates or circumvents everything that big tech wants to have. They want all the control so they can have all the money, and then they give us likes and a dumb dashboard in return. And I'm tired of it. I'd rather have 50 bucks with um, 100 listeners than, say, 100,000 listeners and $5. A lot of people just want their music out there. I don't even know if people are listening to it. It might be on in the background. Somebody might have gone to sleep and it's part of the algorithm uh, that introduces a song and the person doesn't even know it's been played, but you get this thing saying, hey, somebody's playing your music. It's like, really? I think it's just feeding into big tech control the entire thing. And these protocols circumnavigate it. So that is the um, lead up into the artificial intelligence section for today in the Society 5.0 segment. We'll get to Zelensky and some economy economy matters later. I'm just kind of all over the map here um, due to the birth of my child here. All right. Society 5.0. The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology-based, human-centered society. The fourth industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face. All right, I just play that for that long because that was made by the Japanese government and it uses a lot of world economic form speak, which is just another kind of big tech um, structure being shoved down everyone's throats. And of course the book COVID-19, the great reset was written by Klaus Schwab, the founder of the world economic forum. And a lot of people say that's kind of just a stupid book. And I agree, but in the book, he talks a lot about the need for big government, for big data, for surveillance, for um, governments basically operating under the same guidelines so that they can inject um, research teams and scientists into parts of the world anywhere they want 
so it's like this supranationalist um, approach to government, not to global control. And that's what it is. And I, I read the book kind of going, what? Uh, but that's what it is. So this one comes to us from japanforward.com. And one thing that always grinds my goat about the AI researchers, especially in the West, is that they can't stop talking about AI being your friend, your psychological friend, and then comparing it to movies. And it's just this endless circle of people saying, well, this AI is going to be your friend, just like in that movie. And you're like, Guys, AI is automation, and it's making ports in China work without people in them. When you have a 5G network with, a, with edge computing and AI and IoT systems, you basically create entire new channels to remove people from work uh, and have engineers in control towers kind of pulling the, the wireless networks, network cables to control things up to uh, miles and miles away with almost no latency. It used to be very improbable, like theoretically possible, but um, practically improbable. These days, it's becoming more and more and more probable. But still, with the West, it's like, well, pff, yeah, sure, you might have these automated ports, but AI is going to be your friend just like in the movie. You're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. New technology uses point cloud data to reproduce roads, reproduce roads and public structures in virtual space. Award-winning point cloud data technology can digitally preserve historic structures, help in cityscape planning, disaster management, and road maintenance. This is what I mean by the, the awesomeness of, of, of AI, digital twins. And it's like a stack. It's not just like some AI program that you upload into the cloud and then it takes over. It, it, you have like digital maps with a heat map on it and an AI um, neural network that is able to understand different levels of heat and what that might mean. And then if, if something gets too hot or too cold, it sends a, it could be a false positive even, you know, those need to be vetted out to somebody in a control center. And they say, oh, here might be a problem. Go send someone to check it. That happened a lot with, oh, oh, geez, here we go. Very touch and go with the baby situation right now. Looks like it's all good, but you never know. Um, so the uh, some Swiss train company decided to <laughs> Swiss cheese Swiss chain train company decided to use this type of um, application as well, and it made a just a rash of uh, false positives where these engineers had to go to these bridges in the middle of winter in, in the Swiss Alps and and to fix something on the that the computer on a train thought was was wrong, and it just turned out to be a shadow on a on, on a clamp. And so they trained the computer vision system they set up on the bottom of these trains to identify various types of clamps and various types of scenarios and filter out what types would be should be sent to a control center and what types should not be sent to a control center. And it increased the amount of maintenance, uh, pre-maintenance by a huge amount, meaning that there was fewer large uh, maintenance programs being undertaken which are more costly and they were able to run more trains on their tracks resulting in more passengers and more freight being carried and so more money is being made for the train company they took this platform and they had the idea to try to export it to other train companies in Europe as well I don't know if that was successful but the idea is once you have this system set up in place now you have a competitive advantage that you can you know sell to other people across the world who are interested in this stuff so that's the idea behind 
um, AI for me, and it's not something that's your friend that's going to blow you and then take your your job. Although um, Chat GPT is is threatening a lot of office jobs. So let's take a look. This comes to us from japantoday.com. And the reason I'm choosing this article by Takeshi Noma is because he gets it right, which is so rare to see. Um, and we don't have um, useless comparisons happening all the time uh, that just distract from the, com- the conversation. You know, it, it, We don't need to constantly be like Family Guy or John Oliver where we have nine examples that have nothing to do with what we're talking about so we can inject some sort of political point at the end and make everybody laugh. It, that's propaganda. Anyways, a research team reports on point cloud data technology for reproducing actual cityscapes and buildings in virtual spaces. Laser Laser, laser measurements are merely a collection of points, the team reports. However, by using a platform that makes it um, possible to share 3D data, including point cloud data, the range of its applications will in- increase, the researchers explain. Um, what is point cloud data? Point cloud data is a huge aggregation of points with information such as width, height, depth, or XYZ coordinates on a red, green, and blue version of values of color. These can be used to record detailed data on of objects in actual sites. For example, take the decision to deconstruct the former uh, Miya Konojo Civic Hall um, in Miyazaki Prefecture. It was designed by the late Kiyonori uh, Kikutake, one of the leading architects of the post-war period. In 2019, a group of volunteers worked to preserve the architecture and cyberspace. They used 3D laser scanners to achieve not only the exterior, but also the interior stage, audience seats, and the structure behind the ceiling. Uh, Yeah, laser data is um, very accurate, and you can zoom in on very fine points and maintain that accuracy. Point cloud data is not only used for preservation of buildings, but is also attracting interest in the field of eye construction. This is a, or IIoT, Internet, uh, Industrial Internet of Things. That is a field where ICT is being applied to construction sites and civil engineering work. ICT, well, um, 3D point studio platform takes on challenges. Although it is certainly a useful technology, Dr. Nakamura and his colleagues indicate that it is difficult to use point cloud data wisely in accordance with its intended purpose. When a road is modeled on 3D uh, in 3D using point cloud data, it is easy for people to visually understand at a glance that the roadway extends from here to there and has a sidewalk next to it, or that there are trees and so on. However, when analyzing point cloud data with existing systems, the point cloud data itself is nothing more than a set of points, so it is not possible to assess basic information. To solve this problem, Dr. Nakamura, uh, Dr. Imai, and their colleagues at Intelligent Style Co. have developed a 3D Point Studio. This is a platform that promotes the utilization of point cloud data. In addition, they have made some of the functions available to the public free of charge. I'll be, I'll be listing this on the website too. Creating, this is the key point, creating digital twin public spaces. You'll have a digital twin if you have a smartphone. The smart, your smartphone is your digital twin. Your uh, phone number is your ID. It has your passwords, all your photos, your web history, your apps. It has basically, it's a profile of you that is your mirror for your psychographic mirror that you carry around with you and is tracked everywhere you go. So when companies say, we're not tracking you. Yeah, they're tracking your digital twin, your smartphone, as you take it with you. With 3D Point Studio, area data, which holds information on the location and attributes of natural and artifacts, is provided to Point Cloud Data. Um, Award-winning technology used in real life. So um, 
for people who are interested in this type of thing, I'm going to provide the website. It's not really that interesting to read, uh, but the um, the the promises that this technology can can provide for creating uh, cityscapes, reducing cost, making things smoother, um, it's it's incredibly valuable. So that's what I wanted to say about that, and we're going to move on from there. The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0 A technology-based, human-centered society. The fourth industrial revolution will raise our standard of living. It could raise our standard of living if we use it for projects like that, digital twins and construction. Maybe not so much if it's just some sort of crazy ex-girlfriend that you pay for like some AI chatbot to um, waste all your time and then worry about uh, movie comparisons. I got I to gotta stop that. <laughs> I had a good friend send um, a Glenn Beck article and he might be listening and thinking that that's what I'm talking about right now. No, no, no. Actually, it's almost everybody in the English-speaking world uh, can't not think anything except the... It doesn't matter. Glenn Beck was talking about like it's a conservative versus liberal thing. Um, actually, what's interesting is that both liberals and conservatives are constantly talking about artificial intelligence in terms of some sort of friend that uh, that and in comparing it to movies all the time uh, it just your position on that differs so it doesn't matter if you're liberal or conservative in the english speaking world when you're talking about artificial intelligence you're talking about artificial in general te- artificial generative or general intelligence and taking your job and um, comparing it to movies <laughs> but if you go to china it's not in that paradigm at all it's very interesting uh, but yeah, it's, it's constantly this weird, you can't get away from it. It's like a cultural thing where it's almost like talking to like a super religious person about Jesus. And then you have like this, you're not really a super religious person. You're like, well, Jesus might have been, um, uh, an alien, like an alien hybrid, like the Greek stories. You can't entertain that if you are, if you are super deeply religious, a Jesus lover, I mean, Christian, I'm kind of a Christian, so I don't mean to offend the Christians, but um, it's just one of those things where it's so ingrained culturally that it can't be anything else almost all the time. And so when something else comes along that's potentially epic making on a, on a, on a magnitude of uh, scale, uh, people don't even realize it. Like those, um, the, the, those Amazonian people who didn't see the ships coming. I mean, we didn't even see them. And that's what they say because it's some sort of story that we all do. Let's move on to the next topic. Again, I'm all over the map here because I've just had a baby. Stupid gadget of the week. Stupid gadget. Kawaguchi, Saitama Prefecture. Prefectural police on May 16th arrested two Vietnamese on suspicion of operating a hair salon without having a hairdresser's license, according to investigative sources. This comes from Asahi.com. Which day is this? Uh, May 16th. And we are recording this on May 22nd. May 22nd. 
The two, a 35-year-old woman and a 29-year-old man, are both of Vietnamese nationality and residents of Kawaguchi. Police believe that they broke a law on hairdressers by offering hairdressing services such as haircuts or perms in a room in a multi-tenant building to multiple clients. The woman was effectively the operator of the hair salon and the man was an employee, according to police. The hair salon opened around two years ago and most of the customers were foreigners, according to sources. Police, uh, Prefectural police have been investigating the case, believing the shop was an underground hair salon. Mm. we got to get those underground hair salons pronto, police people. But when it comes to the Chinese running uh, police stations, we're just going to keep that pretty mum. It is rare for police to take action on such a hair salon. The man came to Japan on the technical intern training program, but later fled the company where he trained. After that, his visa expired, according to cops. A notification to open the hair salon was submitted to a local health center before it started operating. The local health center then confirmed that the hair salon complied with the relevant standards. Therefore, police believe that other people uh, than the two arrested were also involved in the salon. Uh, according to investigative sources, the woman is suspected of having done a perm, oh no, for a 20-something-year-old Vietnamese customer without permission from the labor minister in July 2022. She is also suspected of cutting the hair of customers of Vietnamese and Myanmar nationalities together with the 29-year-old man in February 2023. The hair salon has serviced customers daily, and prices for the services range from 2,000 yen to 16,000 yen, $14 to... $140. The prefectural police will investigate the man under the immigration control law on suspicion of illegally staying in Japan. They will also investigate the woman on suspicion of encouraging illegal employment under the same law. In Japan, a government-accredited license is required to work as a hairdresser. Applicants need to pass paper exams and practical skills tests to obtain their license after requiring expertise in the field of training institutions designated by the labor industry. It takes at least two years to obtain a hairdresser's license. Cases of unlicensed hairdressers will continue to occur, according to people in the sector. Quote, Students require knowledge on public health, including infectious diseases, among other things, at training institutions to become a hairdresser, said Fusako Yoshida, a representative director of the Japan Beauty General Incorporated Association, an organization supporting hair salons. Quote, it is very dangerous for someone without expertise to give hairdressing services, end quote. For example, hair coloring or perm products could blind customers or damage their skin if not used correctly, Yoshida said. To prevent unlicensed hairdressers from working, quote, hairdressers should be, sorry, hairdressers should work with their certificates hanging from their necks, said Yoshida. That's a little extreme, Yoshida. She added that she wants customers to distinguish between licensed and unlicensed hairdressers too. A 27-year-old hairdresser living in Saitama obtained his license after training at a hairdresser college for two years. He took construction at the college five days a week from morning till evening. He spent several million yen to become a hairdresser for the college fees and to purchase implements such as scissors. He said that even after hairdressers start working at a hair salon, they have to spend years doing various chores, so it takes at least three years to reach the stage to be able to cut customers' hair. Quote, It takes so much effort to be a proper hairdresser. Hairdresser, the man said, quote, it is unforgivable to do hairdressing without a license, end quote. And I think that's the main thing. Um, you don't want, yeah, if, it, if people are spending millions of yen to do things correctly, and then you just come in an open shop and you put down a, uh, a hair sign, a salon sign, and, and start advertising your services, mm, even if you're doing it for foreigners, you'd probably keep it uh, on the down low, <laughs> not put out signs outside of your building. Anyways, uh, if you think that you can get away with things in Japan like that forever, you are sadly mistaken. 
this happened a long time ago to a friend of mine, but he was talking about being behind on some tax payments. He was just talking about this. The next day, he got a mail. He got a letter in the mail telling him to go to the tax office to pay his taxes. How did they know? I don't know. But when you try and screw over people here long enough, it comes back at you. It's called karma, boochies. Stupid gadget of the week. Stupid gadget, S-G-O-T-W. Let's do some war. Die for the war. Everybody moves. Die for the good, for the good. Die for the war. Die for the war. Actually, we'll 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 do this first. Have you thought about donating to the Japan Web Podcast? Go to Podcasting 2.0. Get yourself an Albi wallet. Join in on the new revolution, circumventing big tech in their approaches to siloing the world and then making billions of dollars off of all of our money. Or you can go to paypal.me forward slash Japan W-U-T. Take advantage of our merchants account. Send us a donation that way. Or simply go to MatthewPMBigelow.com where you can get all your Japan web podcasting needs and more. Send us some traffic. Check out the photos. Maybe see some of those links as well. That's it. Thank you. All right. Back to war. Die for the war. Everybody moves. Die for the good. For the good. Die for the war. So the G7 was in town in Hiroshima. Uh, all the big wigs are coming in and saying, oh my God, we got to do this and that and the other thing. But then Zelensky comes to town for the G7 minute, the summit, I mean. And uh, this is, I couldn't really find many good clips. Um, a lot of the journalists are just like, oh my God, it's amazing. He came and now Kishida is like going to be awesome. That's basically what the news is saying. Uh, but I'm just going to read down some lists here. Zelensky likens war-torn Ukraine to A-bombed Hiroshima. <laughs> so Hiroshima, bombed in the nuclear, bombed in a nuclear strike at the end of World War II by the Americans. Um, legitimate and illegitimate war crime, not a war crime, whatever. But Hiroshima likes to position itself as a, na- as a, as a city of peace and promoting the disarmament of nuclear weapons and, and trying to promote a world of peace. That's kind of their, their bag. And then Zelensky comes to town. He's like, yeah, basically, um, we need more money for the war. <laughs> Japanese A-bomb survivors worry Zelensky's G7 visit overshadows nuclear disarmament message. Um, so there's all these things. South Korea, uh, let's, let's take a look at that. Ukrainian Prime President Volodymyr Zelensky's last-minute participation Sunday in the Group of Seven summit has brought intense global attention to Russia's invasion of the nation, as if we, as if it hasn't for every day for the past year. But it has also worried atomic bomb survivors who said the high-profile visit overshadowed a rare chance to push world leaders to focus on nuclear abolishment. Zelensky's inclusion at the G7 gathering of rich world democracies and his pursuit of more weapons and other support for Ukraine rather than a diplomatic 
diplomatic pursuit to end the war sends the wrong message, activists and victims said. Quote, Zelensky's visit is not appropriate for Hiroshima, which is a peace-loving city, end quote, said Etsuko Nakatani, an activist whose parents survived the Hiroshima atomic bombing in 1945. Yukata Takahashi, a Hiroshima-born activist, believes that Zelensky's visit threatens to send a message, quote, that justifies the need for nuclear deterrence in order to save Ukraine from becoming another Hiroshima, he said, quote, it only makes us feel that Hiroshima was merely used by nuclear states to send a peace message, end quote. The summit started with a leader's visit to a peace park and a museum dedicated to those died in the world's first wartime atomic bombing. Kishida also planned to escort leaders to the park and museum Sunday and to hold talks with Ukrainian leaders, with the Ukrainian leader. Um, And then, yeah, Zelensky calls for more jets and, and stuff like that. You know, so... I'm not sure like this whole G7 thing, we have Trudeau, we have Macron, we have Kishida, we have Biden, then we have Zelensky. No offense, but I'm a member of this G7 thing and I'm, I'm not a huge US dollar fan, but as a Canadian living in Japan, we're really connected to the United States economy. And to see all these losers just getting up on stage and talking about war and the environment as we're seeing inflation go up to like 30% in a lot of cases in Japan right now. Um, without nary a care in the world for making the world like uh, to, they're not exercising leadership. Basically, they're, they're, they're doing photo ops and they all look like losers. They all look like incapable buffoons and they just kind of say but we're we're democracies oh really trudeau with 20 percent of the vote um kishida who's the head of the ldp which is a basically one japan's been a one government one party system for all the since world war ii ended except in a couple of cases that it quickly get reversed and the ldp takes over again because they just they're very they're like water. They just say whatever. Macron, who who's, has a country that's being devastated right now, um, protests all over the place. Biden, who can't even get a sentence out, who who's giving $160 billion to Ukraine to fight Russia. Um, and all these people just kind of go, well, at least it's not Trump. And they're like, what are you talking about? Um, it's an embarrassment. Uh, I don't think many people believe them. Uh, there's nobody in Japan, there's hardly anybody in Japan that walks around thinking about Ukraine and the Donbass area. And it's always on the news. The news is always pushing Ukraine as a victim state, uh, which they are, but I'm just saying, but Japanese people by and large simply do not care about this issue. Even though the press constantly tries to make them care, they still don't. It's the same thing with the bugs. We just don't care about the bugs, even though they're constantly trying to make us care about these stupid bugs. Uh, and I'm not saying that Ukrainians are bugs. I'm just saying it's a topic that's being pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. But w- when it comes to real life, nobody's walking around thinking about, I'm going to eat bugs to save the environment. And I really hope that the Donbass stays under Ukrainian control. These are fantasy worlds being projected onto us. And it's embarrassing. I would like to compare this uh, war um, f- uh, idea to 
the um, aspect of what's going on in China right now. And uh, I took this one from the foreignpolicy.com website. Xi hosts historic China Central Asia Summit. The Six Nation event directly challenges Western dominance by coinciding with this week's G7 Summit in Japan. Um, This writer is Alexandra Sharp. Probably finish with this one for today. Actually, I got to get going. Um, China hosts Central Asia Summit. Have you heard about this? Basically, China is also working to get its One Belt One Road or um, the One Belt One Road or the Belt and Road Initiative um, completed more so than before. And I think what they want to do is they want to build a super highway through Central Asia into Europe. And they might even not go through Russia anymore. With G7 leaders meeting in Japan, China kickstarted its first ever Central Asia summit on Thursday. Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, and Uzbekistan are all in attendance for the two-day event. Leaders met one-on-one with Chinese President Xi Jinping on Thursday before group discussions on Friday. According to Chinese, uh, the Chinese Foreign Ministry, this is the first major diplomatic event China has hosted this year. A lot of these uh, G7 events, too, it's like they met for their one-on-one meeting. It lasts for three minutes. They just say prepared statements to each other. The press goes, oh, my God, they had a one-on-one, and but nothing really ever happens. They, they, I think they're just getting drunk. They, I don't think they, they, they know that they're not in charge and they're just these kind of puppet heads that s- the G7 that pose in front of cameras for the populace and then things get done behind the scenes that we'll never understand. Back to the article from foreignpolicy.com. Many issues are on the summit's agenda, but its primary purpose is to, is to secure greater political and economic partnerships between China and its Central Asian neighbors. Quote, we have a common goal to intensify bilateral relations, end quote. Kazakh President Kasim Jomart Tokayev told Xi on arriving in Xi'an, uh, the, where the summit is being held. It's a very traditional Chinese city. The central northwest Chinese city, formerly called Chang'an, is highly symbolic uh, for the meeting as it once served as the eastern starting point of the Silk Road, the ancient trade route we all know. China and Central Asia have long been vital partners on the global stage. In 2013, Beijing launched its trillion-dollar Belt and Road Initiative in Kazakhstan and has since spent billions of dollars on transportation and infrastructure in the region. Um, a lot of a lot of like Westerners probably don't really think much about this zone, but when I was in Beijing, I, I met quite a few Kazakhs. Um, they go to um, Beijing because of their they're, they're kind of those like the Central European type of kind of Asiany, kind of Europeany, but they they fall more under the, like the Russian side of things. So they might have like Russian speaking capability, and they go into Beijing or China for some economic opportunity, or they might even go into Russia. So there's an enormous fear of influence. And it's not as large of a sphere of influence in terms of money that would attract like a lot of Canadians or Americans, but for a lot of people in Central Asia, they have a lot of economic opportunities that would better them Uh, geopolitically and also just geographically by going into Russia or going into China. They're not really thinking about the CCP and the Uyghurs and all that. They're just kind of thinking, I need some money and I need a job. I'm going to go here and there. So there's a massive amount of influence that Russia and China holds on this area to offer those people in Central Asia uh, economic opportunities. China and Central Asia have long been vital partners on the global stage. Oh, sorry. Last year, trade reached a record high of $70 billion. 
billions, uh, including $31 billion with Kazakhstan alone. This year is proving to be no different. Already, China and Central Asian nations have conducted more than $24.8 billion in trade. Just as Central Asia relies on Chinese trade and investment, Beijing depends on Central Asia for key resources. Many Chinese cities rely on national ga- natural gas pipelines from Turkmenistan and oil from Kazakhstan. Alongside fostering economic relations, Beijing likely hopes that deeper ties with the region will help curtail U.S. dominance, curb ethnic unrest in far western Xinjiang, where neighbors in Central Asia, and fill the void left by Russia amid its war in Ukraine. (laughs) China walking in there, getting its piece of the pie as Russia... Um, tries to wrestle Donbass away from the West. However, not all Central Asian nations are on board. Many Central Asian Muslims continue to criticize China's abuse of Uyghurs in Xinjiang, and Central Asian leaders fear that as former Soviet satellite states, their countries may be next to get caught in the Kremlin's crosshairs and are thus wary of Xi's close relationship with Russian President Vladimir Putin. It goes on from there. That kind of seems... I'm not really seeing a lot of quotations about that. That could be the foreign policy bias that we're getting into now. Um, but there might be some truth to that as well. Uh, I, I think it wouldn't, everybody would, everyone would say it makes sense to be a little bit hesitant on the political front, but also to take advantage of the economic front. And that seems to be what's going on. So when we compare just like the brass tacks of the G7 and all their posturing and meeting and photo ops. They don't eat bugs, by the way. They eat the most delectable, amazingly scrumptious meals at these G7 meetings. They fly in on private jets, eat the most amazing meals you've ever seen. Then they spend three minutes in front of a camera at some like uh, bombed out dome. And they say, well, Climate change, you better eat the bugs. And then they get back on their plane, get hammered, and continue to eat the most amazing food as they fly private plane back to their home countries onto the taxpayer's dime. That's what the G7 does. And so I'm not saying that the uh, Chinese system is better. I'm just saying that they seem to be a lot more practical about what's going on in the world. Uh, whereas what we are dealing with now with this group of losers, that's what the G7 should be called, group of losers pissing away the fortunes on on sky pie-in-the-sky dreamscapes that will never uh, come into reality. Um, they're flushing away our futures, and it's, it's terrifying to see. Uh, <laughs> so well, I'm going to stop it there. Oh, sorry. Die for the war. Everybody must die for the good, for the good. Die for the war. Die for the war. Um, let's take a look. I wanted to focus on... Hold on a second here. With this idea of just everything being shoved down our throats, I'm going to finish off with two items, and I'm going to say, is it or is it? Is this discrimination or is it just fatigue? Is it? Oh, is it? Japan, rape crisis center denied funding after founder denounced as transphobic. (laughs) This also happened in Canada. So with the um, LGBTQ stuff going on, um, is it too divisive? Divisive? 
Japan's longest-running rape crisis. This comes to us from Redux.info. They have their own bias, by the way. Uh, Japan's longest-running rape crisis center has been declared ineligible to receive public funding following statements made by the facility's director, which were deemed by government officials to be discriminatory against males who identify as transgender. This is a this is crazy. So women who've been raped who don't want to be around men now have to be around men in dresses identifying as women. Otherwise, they're transphobic, and now they can't have a rape crisis center anymore. Tokyo's Rape Crisis Center was founded in 1983 by six women, half of whom were survivors of sexual assault. Michiko Orita, one of the founders, first confirmed the punitive measure during a meeting held last year in May, organized by women's rights campaign group Save Women's Spaces, which was primarily concerned with the potential ramifications of gender identity policies to be adopted in the nation. Um... I think you can kind of go on there. Quote, there is an increase in trans discriminatory and trans hate labeling and suppression of speech in a situation where most citizens have no knowledge of gender identity. Currently, victims of sexual violence are the target of criticism as trans discriminatory and the harmful effects to this are to silence and attack women victims who are suffering from sexual harm. Orita said last May. Um, this is just coming into the news now uh, because I guess they don't get their funding. Uh, so that's just one idea. Is it discriminatory or is it fatigue? And the last one for today, um, this one is Tokyo Kabuki Chow, Kabuki Cho Tower backtracks on its gender neutral toilets, rejigging them to appease public. Um, gender gender neutral toilets. I don't really care about it too much. It's weird to promote them as gender neutral toilets. I think a lot of restaurants, if there's just a toilet, that's a gender neutral toilet. So I'm not sure why we have to have gender neutral toilets. Like uh, I'm a man and I feel bad if I have to use a you know a, I want to I want to go into the bathroom I want. There's you know, okay I can see an argument for that. But setting this type of thing up in Kabuki Cho Japan, which is the nation's center for sexual deviancy everybody knows by the age of 15 in japan that if you want to go and just be a crazy ass sexual deviant you go to kabuki cho and it's been changing in recent years it's a much more family oriented place than it was before but it's still the sexual landscape of debauchery in the country and so to just set up a, a, a genderless toilet there um in the middle of Kabuki Cho is gonna it's gonna trigger some debaucherous types to go in there and and really make a mess of the place. <laughs> On April fourteenth, a new landmark uh, called Tokyo Kabuki Cho Tower opened in Kabuki Cho in Tokyo Shinjuku Ward. Where is this from? Sora News 24, the 50-floor entertainment and hotel complex is home to restaurants, bars, games, cinema centers, and everything else. Um after being inundated with complaints from the public, the tower made the surprising decision to backtrack on its original design of offering gender-neutral toilet spaces. For the past month, the usage information panel at the entrance to the gender-neutral restroom has a sign pasted on it that reads, Under Adjustment. Um, so anyways, a lot of women... Uh, shy Japanese women were not interested in going into a toilet with a bunch of men or other types. I heard that some people were kind of doing some naughty stuff in there as well. I'm not saying that just because it's a gender-neutral toilet that sexual deviants are going to use it for sexual deviancy. What I am saying, though, is that when you have this type of restroom in the sexual deviancy headquarters of 
uh, Tokyo in Japan, then the likelihood of debauchery going on in that place is going to only increase. It's like opening up a bar in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous and saying, I didn't know drunks were going to come in here and use this place. Oh, my Lord. So there we go. It's, uh, is it discriminatory or is it fatigue? Is it? Oh, is it? All right. That's going to settle it for today. Uh, thank you for listening to this kind of here and there, uh, everywhere podcast, the Japan What Podcast, coming at you. From the back end of Tokyo, the backup studio in Sanmonjo, Shinjuku, Tokyo. You found it. The armpit of Asia. Till next time, Jamatane. Yo!